Loneliness begins with alienation from God. We, as human beings, are hardwired to communicate with Him, fellowship with Him, walk with Him, talk with Him. And then when sin entered the world, that fellowship, that communion, that life flow was cut off. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire. And thank you so much for joining us this time. Today we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus as recorded in the book of Luke. We're going to see how every little thing about Jesus' arrival was carefully orchestrated by a sovereign God. And I'm going to draw a parallel between the manger where Jesus was born and the condition of the human heart that also needs Jesus. It's a very unique way of looking at the Christmas story that I believe is going to bless you. Well, I can't wait to share it with you, so let's go right to the message, Meet Me at the Manger. Let's read this together. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, which was a feeding trough, just so you'll know, to where the animals ate their feed, because there was no room for them in the end. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that we will latch hold of by faith the real meaning of Christmas. And I pray that if anyone is here today that doesn't really know you through Christ, you will draw them near. And I pray that we will leave today, Lord, rejoicing over the real reason for the season. Jesus, the Son of God, in his name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him one more time, Merry Christmas is going to be good. Amen. All righty. Now, everything about the birth of Jesus was very, very carefully orchestrated by the hand of God. The God of the Bible is providential and sovereign. That means he rules his universe. Most of what God does, most of us never see. We're not aware of it. But he is shaping history. Everything is racing towards the end of time when Christ Jesus will appear again and time will end as we know it and history will end as we know it. So even though it looks sometimes like God is nowhere in control, God is really ultimately in control. And when it came to the birth of his only begotten son, I assure you God was orchestrating, ordering every detail of the birth of Jesus. 
And that's why I believe the difficult circumstances surrounding his birth were intentional. Think about it. We have God's only begotten son, the Messiah, God wrapped in skin, coming to earth to die for you and me. And yet this King of Kings, Lord of Lords, this Messiah, this predicted Savior, all the prophets look forward to him, all the major prophets, minor prophets, Moses, Abraham, they all look forward to the coming of this one. And so you would expect that he would be born in a palace or a wealthy home, at least in a nice hotel, but he was born out back behind the Holiday Inn of Bethlehem into very, very dismal conditions. And I think that's on purpose because here's what I see. God is a painter, he's an artist, and he he draws and he gives us illustrations. When I look at this manger and I look at the conditions in which he was born, I see something, I see a parallel. You know what the parallel, parallel is? It's the human heart. That manger, the conditions and circumstances surrounding his arrival reminds me of the human heart. And I believe that's on purpose. Because in the human heart, Jesus came to be born within the human heart millions and millions of times over. Most of us in here today can say, yes, he was born in my heart. Jesus said, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. That means you receive a brand new heart, as it were a heart transplant. And so let's look at how. That manger scene is just like the human heart. So, so meet me for a minute at the manger. First, we see that there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for the arrival of Jesus. When they got there, a no vacancy sign hung in the window of the Bethlehem Hotel as a weary and a bedraggled Mary and Joseph sought refuge after a very, very long journey. I want you to think about this journey for a minute. Mary was nine months and counting pregnant. They had just traveled 90 miles, not in a good time van, not in a bus, not in a nice car, but by donkey. I want all you ladies to think about this, meditate on this, consider this. She's nine months pregnant, great with child, and suddenly they've got to load up, pack up, and take off on a 90-mile journey on a donkey, either riding a donkey, kaboom, 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 or walking. They likely averaged about 10 miles a day. The normal average for travelers in that day was 20 miles a day, but not with a pregnant woman nine months along. It was probably about 10 miles a day. They made their way 90 miles. So for over a week, they journeyed down this road. And here's, here's where the journey took them. It took them through the Judean desert during the winter time, where the average temperature during the day was in the 30s. At night, it was freezing, and it rains constantly at that time of year. So we're talking about terrible traveling conditions, even if you had been in a car, much less a donkey, much less walking. So at night, it reached the freezing mark. It was a long, nasty, miserable journey. And so they finally arrive at 
Bethlehem. They can't wait to get a room and settle down and wait for the child to come. And they see a no vacancy sign swinging in the window with no other place to go. They turned around and walked slowly around back to a stable, which was the equivalent of a first century parking lot. All that was there was a few donkeys and sheep and dirt and nothing. Now I'm going to ask you a question. It's lonely back there. Lonely. All the laughter and fun and conversation was going on in the hotel. There's nothing back there. Now doesn't that foreshadow, think with me for a minute, what Jesus would encounter throughout the centuries in terms of men, women, boys, and girls having no room at all for him in the end of their heart? Yeah, this was on purpose. God did this on purpose. God did this on purpose because it's the story of Jesus that more times than not, people have no room for him. The Apostle John tells us that this is the way the whole thing began when he started his ministry. John says, although he made the world, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. He was rejected. He was rejected. Only a few, John goes on to say, would welcome and receive him. Only a few out of many. Many are called, few are chosen. Out of all the ones who he went to, only a few accepted him. But to all who received him, he gave the right and the power to become children of God. All they needed to do was trust him to save them. But notice the odds. It's always the minority that have room. The majority have no room. The Gospels also tell us of a rich young man who came to Jesus. But after hearing Jesus encourage him to sell his possessions and follow him, it says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. Watch this. There was room, no room for Jesus in his heart, but there was room for money. But no room for Jesus. Also, one day when Jesus had finished teaching a large crowd of 5,000 people, the Bible makes it very clear that 4,988 of them all but 12 turned and walked away. And he turned to the 12 and said, Are you also going to leave me? Is there no room for me in your life? 4,988 said, There's no room for you in my busy, happening, distracted life. Jesus told a parable once of a rich man who had a great feast and sent out many invitations. And the feast in the parable represents salvation. And the invitations represent God's offer to be saved. This is what Jesus was driving at. A rich man made a feast. The rich man is God. Made a feast and invited people everywhere to come. The feast represents salvation. God's offer to be saved. That's the invitation. And in the parable, everyone that was invited began to make excuses why they couldn't come. One said, hey, I just bought a field. I'm too busy. Please excuse me. I have no room for you right now, Jesus. Maybe later. Maybe when I'm retired. Maybe when I have my gold watch and I'm, and I'm a little calmer and I've slowed down some. Maybe then I will. But you know, I've been around long enough to see if you can't make room for him early on, you rarely do later on. They all began to make excuses. I bought a field. Another one said, I bought five pair of oxen, got me a new car, we would say. And I want to go try it out. So I'll, I'll make it later, Jesus. 
Check me later, Jesus. Been great hearing from you, but not now. Another one just gotten married. Uh Uh-oh. For that reason, he couldn't attend. No room for him in the inn of all these hearts. This was a parable that Jesus made up. He knew the score. He knew that the way he was born into a lonely place, uh, that there was no room for him, no room, that that was going to foretell many, many, many millions and billions of times people would say the same thing. No vacancy in the room of my heart. Yet the invitation still rings out. I want you to hear the invitation. Revelations 3.20, one of my favorite verses says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. The door is your heart. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if any man hears my voice, if any woman hears my voice, any boy or girl hears my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That's the invitation. And you know what? We should never get tired of giving that invitation. We need to be telling that invitation because right now, all over the world, via the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is knock, 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 knocking on the hearts of people saying, let me in, let me in. Is there any room for me? Can you move that no vacancy sign and make room for me? And I find that people are hungry all over the world. I was eating last week. Went to a restaurant. Uh, I'll go ahead and say the restaurant, Cotton Patch, where all good things happen. (laughs) We went to the Cotton Patch and I met two. I had two ministers there with me. One of them is a soul winning machine. And what? it was Scott Camp. I was with Scott Camp, our evangelist of a few weeks ago and another pastor, and we're sitting there talking. The waitress comes up to talk to us and take our order. Before I know it, Scott's talking to her about Jesus. So we just kind of bowed for a minute and let it all happen. She's got her little order pad, and she's ready to take our order. And before I knew it, it went from lunch to church. Seriously. And before I know it, this little girl, this she didn't look any more than 19, 20 years old. This, this young lady bows her head right in the middle of the restaurant and accepted Jesus at the restaurant. Just like that. Tears going down her face. Tears going down her face. And she said, I just can't believe that you talked to me about this because this very week I've been thinking about this. Now, why was she thinking about this? That's why she's thinking about it. Because the Lord is knocking on the hearts of people. And the question is, do you have room for him in the end of your heart? Or are you saying to him later, Jesus, hey, I'm great hearing from you, but later, hey, I'm, I'm busy here, busy there, got this, got that. Places to go, people to see. I'm a busy guy, busy girl, Lord, you understand. No, there was no room, and that was on purpose. That's on purpose. Have you made room for Jesus in the end of your heart? That's the single most important decision you will ever make. Not what you're going to major in in school. Not who you're going to marry, though that's huge. Not what you're going to do with the rest. Not where you're going to live. The most important decision is when he comes knocking, do you have room for him in the end of your heart? That's what Christmas is all about. Now, there's another thing I see in the manger that's just like the heart. The manger was lonely. Manger was lonely. Nobody was there to greet Jesus when he came into the world, but a few animals and Mary and Joseph, and, and, and that was it. 
That was it. It was lonely out back there. And I believe it was lonely for a reason. God orchestrated that because that manger is a picture of our heart. I recently read that in a world of social media, smartphones, emails, Skype, texting, and so on, we are still in America and and in all the West profoundly lonely. We're surrounded by people, but we're lonely. I read a story about a woman who was interviewed who went to the mall just so that a salesperson would say hello to her. Lonely. We're lonely in this world. A recent study by Duke University revealed that many Americans are now perilously isolated. Think about that. It was found that 25% of Americans, 25%, one quarter, one out of four, have no meaningful social support at all. They don't have a single person they can confide in. Is that you? That's why I think local church is so important. Because the church is where we're supposed to fellowship, get to know one another, cease being a nameless face in the crowd. That's one of the reasons God gave local church. You ought to take full advantage of it. I even read recently that people that go to church regularly are healthier. So if you can't come for any other reason, get healthy and come to church. Did you know that I read further that over half of all Americans report having no close confidence or friends outside their immediate family? No close friends outside of their family. Over half of Americans run the numbers. That means over 150 million people have no close friend outside their family. Jesus came into a lonely place. And I want to tell you where I think loneliness begins. Loneliness doesn't begin with you not having a friend. Loneliness begins with alienation from God. I've thought this through. I'm convinced of it. See, here's why. We, as human beings, are hardwired to communicate with Him, fellowship with Him, walk with Him, talk with Him. It says Adam and Eve, in the cool of the garden, walked and talked with God regularly. He was their close confidant. They had fellowship with God. And then when sin entered the world, that fellowship, that communion, that life flow was cut off. And I think that was the beginning of man's loneliness and isolation. When he was cut off from his maker, cut off from God. There are people looking for God. They're looking for him in drugs, looking for him in alcohol, looking for him in endless relationships. They just don't know what they're looking for. They're like an amnesiac who knows that something is missing, but they can't remember what. And what it is, is our relationship with God. I love getting up and talking with the Lord. As the song says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. See, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God. The Bible says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. When you know Christ, let me tell you something. You can be alone and not be lonely. See, alone doesn't mean lonely. Alone doesn't have to result in loneliness. Alone is just alone. I'm alone. There's nobody here right now. Loneliness is when you've got an ache inside and you're hurting because there is a lack of companionship in your life. And I contend and I submit to you that that begins with the lack of companionship with Him. And when you know Him, you can be alone and not lonely. 
Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. Jesus said, I'm going to read it again. Look, I have been standing at the door and I am constantly knocking. That's the Greek form. That's the Greek verb. Uh, Not just I've knocked once, but I am constantly knocking, constantly throughout your life. He comes, he approaches. How about now? How about now? How about now? And if anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship. Do you hear that word? Fellowship. That's friendship. Fellowship. That's companionship. Fellowship with him and he with me. So I say again, you can be alone and not lonely when you know Christ. Conquering loneliness begins with reconnecting with your maker. Are you connected with him today? Are you connected with him through Jesus? Well, no, Pastor Jeff, I'm connected by my own good works. I'm connected by some other religion. It doesn't really matter what you use as long as you're sincere, right? No, wrong. No. Now I'm going to get real narrow on you, and I'm going to sound very unpolitically correct. But watch this. There is no other way to, to plug into the life source of God. If I had a lamp here... And this lamp was, had the bulb. It's ready for fire. It's ready for electric. It's ready. But here it is. It's a lamp. And here's a socket right here. But I notice it's not plugged in. So the lamp can be well-meaning. I'm called to shine. I'm going to shine. Shine! But until somebody picks up that cord and plugs it into the source, it will never live, shine, illuminate. We're the same way. Until we say, Jesus, forgive me, we want to shine, but we're not plugged in. And there's not a whole bunch of optional fixtures. There's only one. So when you say, Jesus, forgive me, he plugs you in. And, that's, and then all of a sudden, you're shining. Jesus said, you're the light of the world now, the salt of the earth. Instead of being a problem, you're an answer. Instead of being a question mark, you're an exclamation point. And I want you to look at what happened to that lonely stable when Jesus was born into it. Suddenly there were angels rejoicing and suddenly shepherds came out of nowhere and and wanted to see the baby Jesus because God had told them through angels that the Messiah had been born. So suddenly the place that had been lonely, dark and desolate had all kinds of activity, all kinds of joy, and all kinds of people there to see the baby Jesus. So loneliness was transformed into companionship when Jesus was born in that place. Amen. Amen. But I see another thing about that stable, that manger. Here it is. And again, this is intentional. God did this on purpose. This is not by mistake. Not one thing about Jesus was. So it was intentional that not only was it a lonely place, but it was a dark place. It was a dark place. All Joseph had for illumination as Jesus was being born. Think about that. A baby being born at night in the 30s on the ground on a blanket. All they had at best was the dim flicker of a windblown lantern and whatever light the pale moon provided. That was it. It was a dark place. Dark place. The Bible says that our hearts are dark with sin before Christ comes to live in them. I mean spiritual darkness. Our hearts are spiritually dark. No spiritual light. 
Well, isn't it amazing how much our own sinful hearts are reflected in the surroundings where Jesus was born? I don't think that was any mistake. And likewise, how many similarities there are regarding the effect of Jesus' birth on the manger scene and the difference he brings to our own lives when he comes to live in our hearts. Thank you so much for listening today and join me again next time as we conclude the message, Meet Me at the Manger. And until then, I pray you have a very Merry Christmas and a Christ-filled New Year. Today's program is entitled, Meet Me at the Manger. You can get your own copy of this message for just $5 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalk.tv or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalk.tv or calling us at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalk.tv or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please pray prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.